If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Will you pray with me? You weren't talking to us, right, Holy One? I mean, you were talking to Isaiah. He wrote it down. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. The Lord has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and release to the prisoners to comfort all who mourn. But if you were talking to Isaiah... Why does Jesus make that claim too? Or or really, Luke makes the claim about Jesus, for Jesus. But to be fair, this is what Jesus then sent the disciples to do. So he must not have thought you were talking only to Isaiah either. And this is problematic for us. Kind of makes it seem like just anyone at all can take responsibility to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners and comfort those who mourn. No degree required, no experience necessary, no title needed, just a willingness to get started. Forgive us, Holy One, for thinking this anointing wasn't meant for us. Maybe that's why the world is the way it is right now. So if you don't mind, we've got to go. Our prisons are over capacity. The patriarchy needs smashing and tears need drying. We pray in the name of Jesus, who included all of us in the giving and in the receiving. Amen. The sermon this morning comes from Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For God has looked with favor on the lowliness of God's servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is God's name. God's mercy is for those who fear God from generation to generation. God has shown strength with God's arm. God has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. 
God has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. God has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. God has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of God's mercy according to the promises God made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. Every year, this text surprises me. Every year, I wonder how it's possible that Mary was able to gift us with these words. They are beautiful and hopeful, yes, but also remarkably powerful. So powerful that during the British rule of India, the Magnificat was prohibited from being sung in church. In the 1980s, Guatemala's government discovered Mary's words about God's preferential love for the poor to be too dangerous and revolutionary. The song had been creating quite a stir amongst Guatemala's impoverished masses. Mary's words were inspiring the Guatemalan poor to believe that change was indeed possible. So the government banned any public recitation of Mary's words. Similarly, after the mothers of the Plaza de Mayo, whose children all disappeared during the Dirty War, placed the Magnificat's words on posters throughout the Capitol Plaza, the military junta of Argentina outlawed any public display of Mary's song. The German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer, too, recognized the revolutionary nature of Mary's song. Before being executed by the Nazis, Bonhoeffer spoke these words in a sermon during Advent in 1933. The song of Mary is the oldest Advent hymn. It is at once the most passionate, the wildest, one might even say the most revolutionary Advent hymn ever sung. This is not the gentle, tender, dreamy Mary whom we sometimes see in paintings. This song has none of the sweet, nostalgic, or even playful tones of some of our Christmas carols. It is instead a hard, strong song about the power of God. Still, every year, I think that there's really no reason why this scripture should exist. The Magnificat, Mary's song, is perhaps the most unexpected text in the entire Bible. She was, after all, a pregnant teenager who, according to Matthew's gospel, was within an inch of being dismissed by her fiancé Joseph for the pregnancy, which wasn't great, but certainly better than his option of having her stoned to death. To put it in our context, girls who are teenage mothers usually face enormous challenges. According to the World Health Organization's complications during pregnancy and childbirth are the leading cause of death for 15 to 19-year-olds globally. And teenage mothers face higher risks of eclampsia and systemic infections. This is in addition to the social consequences for unmarried pregnant teenagers, which often includes stigma, rejection, or violence by partners, parents, and peers. 
girls who become pregnant before the age of 18 are more likely to experience violence within a marriage or partnership. Pregnancy often leads girls to drop out of school without getting their high school diploma and dramatically reduces their education and employment opportunities. For Mary, there were a few other things happening that further complicated her life. Mary and her people lived in a world controlled by almighty Rome, the superpower that had just ordered a census devised to document the undocumented for government control, as well as to ensure taxation of the most vulnerable ones. Mary would have known the stories of, and perhaps even seen with her own eyes, the towns that were burned and sacked, her people that were killed and enslaved, the hundreds and thousands that the Roman soldiers crucified along roads and against cities' walls. As Reverend Fritz Wint observes, a female teen where male adults held all the power and influence, a rural Palestinian Jew in the Roman Empire, a revolutionary in a culture that crucified revolutionaries, Mary was the last person one might expect to sing this sort of song. Civil rights activist Ruby Sales bluntly asks, what's up with Mary? What does she, a poor adolescent unwed mother whom the Roman Empire and her community pressed down to the lowest rung on the social ladder, have to sing about why would she thank God and celebrate the coming of a new child in a colonized world where the Roman Empire, the most brutal and egregious of empires, will close doors in attempt to reduce her child's life to the barest bones of possibilities and options? We expect Mary to sing a blues song with all of this happening. And yet, somehow, the song Mary sings isn't the blues. How is this possible? It just seems completely impossible. I mean, don't get me wrong, the alternative reading about Mary is one I don't and won't preach. I mean, you know, the one about meek and mild Mary, suffering and powerless. Like theologian Margaret Elwell, in reading the Magnificat, I stumble in dread and embarrassment over the word handmaiden in the King James Version or the lowliness of his servant in most other translations. But Luke's version of the story really doesn't tell us that Mary is passive, a person to whom things are done. In the verses just before the ones we read today, we hear that Mary travels on her own 60-some miles from Nazareth to a town in the Judean hill country to see her cousin Elizabeth, who is also unexpectedly pregnant. There is no mention of Mary's fiancé and no command or prompting from the angel to do this. She knew where to go, and she went. She knew she needed backup. So to her cousin's house, Mary went. We do not know if Elizabeth opened her door to see Mary's smiling face or cheeks streaked with tears. What we do know is that Elizabeth responded with joy. 
the story tells us that when Mary arrived, Elizabeth exclaims that her child leapt in her womb. Luke actually makes note of it not just once, but twice, first as narration and again in Elizabeth's voice when she tells Mary what has happened. Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leapt for joy. The next thing we know, Mary finds her voice. She begins to sing joyfully a song that became the seed of a social revolution, Dr. Marsha Riggs reminds us. Note the timing of Mary's song. It is only after Elizabeth welcomes her with joy that Mary clears her throat. In a social world that placed little value on what women had to say, the story pivots on a prophetic encounter between two women, what they know to be true and what they say to each other. And it started with joy. Mary's sung testimony of the hungry being filled and the rich being sent away empty, writes Reverend Canon Kelly Brown Douglas, reflects nothing less than a moral imagination that the world will be set right up again. A moral imagination is grounded in the absolute belief that the world can be and will be made better. It will be just. A moral imagination envisions Isaiah's new heaven and new earth, where the wolf and the lamb shall feed together. And thus, as Mary sang, the poor and the rich shall be made equal. A moral imagination disrupts any notion that the world as is as it is and that it is the way it should be or that it is ultimately going to be. A moral imagination says, no, there is a different way. And that moral imagination was powered by joy. We often think of joy as something more flimsy than it is. We define it as cheerful, merry, bright, jolly, lighthearted, bubbly. But we know that joy is, as they say, an act of resistance, an act of resistance against all that threatens to bring us down, to snuff out hope, to make us play small. Joy strengthens us, sustains us, it is what inspired Lucille Clifton, the poet born in Babylon, both non-white and woman, to invite us to come celebrate with me that every day something has tried to kill me and has failed. It seems that Elizabeth's joy watered a seed in Mary's soul which sprouted something so powerful, we are still repeating it 2,000 years later. Thank God Elizabeth had the good sense not to keep that joy tucked away, kept only to herself. Instead, she threw around her joy like confetti, 
Or perhaps a better description is that she threw joy around as if it were seed. She sowed joy to borrow an image we regularly find in scripture. Sowing seeds is always an act of faith. Some of the seeds won't germinate at all, remaining buried in the soil. And if they do, some of the weak sprouts must be weeded out in order for their stronger neighbors to thrive. Seeds must be kept moist at all times or else they won't survive. A hard rain or rough winds can easily pummel them. Pests can devour them before they have a chance to develop. And yet, our entire food system depends on seeds. All plants begin and end with seed. So often, we think of joy as a big, loud emotion. But what if joy, like seeds, starts small? What if joy, like seeds, need a little watering to grow? Perhaps our one job today, tomorrow, the next day, is to be the person who sows joy in another's heart. Or maybe it's to water the tiny shoot, barely there, hardly visible. This is what it means to be an Advent people, to be the Elizabeth to the Marys who cross our paths, however that happens, even if it is as quick as a greeting through the door to the letter carrier. This is the work of Advent, to extend radical hospitality, to be a blessing, to pronounce a blessing, to help someone else clear their throat and find their voice. So I hope you have a good pair of gardening gloves, church. Let us sow joy and see what sprouts. Amen. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are currently online only premiering at 11 a.m. on Mayflower's Facebook page. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.